0: We are in the fourth chapter now of 1 John. We're looking at the first six verses. The title of this message is Testing the Spirits. Let's read the text and we'll get into it. The Apostle John writes and says in chapter four, verse one, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. But you... Are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this morning you would give us understanding pertaining to your word. And as the text is bidding us to do, you would cause us to be discerning Christians. We know without a doubt that we live in an age of deception. We know there's a lot of counterfeit Christ and false doctrine and uh, the theological waters in our culture have been muddied and truths that are so important and so profound and life and death matters have been mitigated and watered down and minimized and, and the spirit of let's just all get along and what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And we, we see that in the culture of the world and yet we're not of the world. We're children of the Most High God sons and daughters of God, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, given new natures, made brand new, new creations. We give allegiance to King Jesus, who was, who is, and who is to come. The only one who ever offered to pay the price for our sins, died on the cross and rose from the dead to give validity to what he did. These things are worth talking about. They're worth fighting for. They're worth contending for. And so make us Christians that would do that, that would contend earnestly for the faith, that would have discernment, that would be voices of truth in a watered-down, muddied, confusing sort of theological culture. Please help us do that for your glory, for our well-being, and for the salvation of the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can probably tell by the text as we read it, it's an important one that's before us this morning, and really, John has been moving toward this point in the whole book. You'll remember that he's writing because the churches that he was writing to were being divided by some false doctrine, some incorrect beliefs about Jesus that were leading to incorrect behavior within the church, and he's been dealing with both of those, right belief and right behavior. Who Christ is, what he's done, and how we're supposed to live, what we believe, and how we behave in light of that. And so now he says to his audience very clearly in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Why does he say that? He answers his own question. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do not believe every spirit. The context here is false teachers within the church. You know that, you've got that if you've been with us. There are those in the church who begin to teach false ideas about Jesus Christ. And so when he's speaking about don't believe every spirit, He's talking about the spirit that is behind teachers, preachers, those who are claiming to speak for and from God. Prophets, he calls them at the end of verse one. Do not believe every spirit. Test them to see whether or not they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he's talking here about those who rose up within the church from among the ranks of the people and said, listen, I have understanding from God. I have clarity from God on some things pertaining to the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what they are. Anyone who claims to speak for God or to be from God would be called a prophet. And so he's talking about the spirits that are behind the prophets, And many false prophets have gone out into the world. The idea of going out is they came up within and went out from the church. Now, of course, there can be false teachers and false prophets outside the church. And so there are many. But in the context here, it's the idea of those who were part of the community And all of a sudden begin to subscribe to, believe, and proclaim as being true, false ideas about Jesus Christ. And the clear uh, teaching of the book of 1 John is that they then left according to this doctrinal dispute. And the challenge that was in the church was that those who were saying false things about Jesus Christ, creating dissension teaching those things, espousing those things, muddying the theological waters, creating this upheaval, and then leaving were people that they knew, people that they loved, people that they had relationship with. It might've been people that were in their com groups or people that sat next to them in the Thursday night class or people that they lived next to on a certain street or people that they had done ministry with. They were people from within the church. And and you get that as you're reading 1 John, that this was a heart-wrenching experience for them. Suddenly, these people that they knew were getting Jesus really wrong and then trying to espouse within the church this false understanding of Jesus Christ. And he says to them, Beloved, with all that compassion that that we think about with the Apostle John, this wise old apostle and pastor, The apostle of love, he says, beloved, you just can't believe everything that you hear. You just can't. Not even in the church, he's saying to them, do not believe every spirit. You have to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Because the times in which you are living, he's saying to his original audience, were very much like the times that we're living in today. The spiritual climate was confusing. The theological waters, as I keep saying, were muddy even within the church and without the church. There were all sorts of competing truth claims and they lived as we live in a pluralistic society which said in essence, there are different truths. What's true for you may not be true for me. That was their culture and that's our culture. And John is saying, man, that just doesn't hold water. Test the spirits. There is truth and there is error. Remember, John is always wanting to push back the gray area. Our culture is always wanting to make it gray. Let's just coexist and get along. And all religions basically teach the same thing and all roads lead to the same place. And John is saying... No. Can't believe everything that you hear. Remember Paul had said about the days in which he lived and the days in which we're living this to Timothy. He said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Remember, they were those who were in the church paying attention to, not being discerning, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. There is the Holy Spirit of God and then there are deceitful spirits. There is the spirit of truth and then there are deceitful spirits. There is true doctrine and there is false doctrine. And you cannot believe everything that you hear, even... Within the church, it's the context. The spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So he says to them, test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God because there are many false prophets, people who claim to speak for God and claim to be from God. And there's always a spirit behind that person. It is either the spirit of truth or deceitful spirits. Listen, John is saying, the person in the message is either from God or the devil. No middle ground. We know that there's well-meaning people. We know that there's people that are genuinely deceived. We know that there's people with all the sorts of background that haven't gotten to heard this, but, but the message and the messenger he's saying are either from God or the devil. How uncomfortable. We want a third road. We want a third way. Well, they're not really from God, but I wouldn't say they're from the devil. That seems so harsh. Well, this is not, this is not, this is not Hollywood. We're not playing games. This is life and death stuff. This is the salvation of men and women. We're not talking about options here. We're not talking about opinions here. We're talking about the very identity of Jesus Christ and how a man, a woman, or a child are saved from their sins and how eternity is determined either to be in heaven with God in glory or in hell. So it's not loving. And it's not right and it's not wise, and it's not the place of the church to say, Well, can we soften it a little bit? Isn't there a third way? John is saying the prophet and their message is either of the God, of God, excuse me, or of the devil. So the problem then that they had is the problem that we have. How do you tell? Test the spirits. how How do you test the spirit? How do you tell if the messenger and the message is from God or the devil? And of course, the test is whether or not it lines up with correct doctrine, the facts about Jesus and his work, the truth of the word of God. And that's one thing in our day and age when we have the word of God, but the audience to which he was writing didn't have the complete New Testament yet. So they didn't have the clear record of Jesus. The Gospels weren't canonized yet. All the writings of Paul and and Peter weren't canonized yet. They didn't have the whole thing. So when the theological waters got muddied, it was a little more difficult to them. So John is doing a great service. He's giving them a clear final test, a very concrete way of knowing if something is of God or of the devil. So he says this in verse two, by this, here's a test, by this, you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God. Then he says in verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is a spirit of antichrist. Okay, the spirit that is opposed to Christ, not capital A Antichrist, not that end time figure that we spoke of in a few, a few sermons ago, but the spirit of Antichrist that's opposed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. Now, what we have to remember when we look at this and we try to apply this to our lives is that John was dealing with a specific doctrinal issue that this church was facing, Right? that some were beginning to, and here's the problem that I've been alluding to, deny the humanity of Jesus Christ, right? If, If we read Paul's epistle to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, he's writing because some people were denying the deity of Jesus Christ, They were saying, well, Jesus was a man, and he was a great prophet, and he spoke from God, and he may have died on the cross, but he was not God incarnate. They were denying the deity of Jesus Christ. So the book of Colossians is a defense of the deity of Jesus Christ. His audience is denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. So the book of 1 John is a defense of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the truth of Jesus Christ is presented in Scripture as he was fully God and fully man. That's the true doctrine about Jesus Christ. See, he was the second person of the Trinity, the Son, co-eternal with God, always existed, uncreated, wasn't made, always has been, all-powerful, draped himself in humanity, came to the earth, born of a virgin, died on a cross to pay the price from our sins, rose from the dead to prove that he was the God-man, ascended unto heaven, is ruling and reigning with the Father, and is coming again to establish his kingdom. That Jesus... So some were beginning to say, influenced by popular Greek thought, that no, no, Jesus wasn't actually a man. He only appeared to take on flesh. He was definitely deity, but he he wasn't man. And, And we've talked about the implications of that, right? If there is no incarnation, then there is no atonement, then there is no salvation. We have the wrong Jesus. No one can be saved by believing in the wrong Jesus. We've got a whole litany of problems. First John has been dealing with that. And so he says you want to test the spirits, and here's how you test them. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, the thrust of the text is not just a mere, yeah, Jesus came in the flesh. It's obviously not talking about that. Anybody can say that and not be speaking from God. And it's not just merely the idea that he came in the flesh. It's all those other implications He's co-eternal with God, second person of the Trinity, God himself draped in humanity, all those things that I just said. Anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, as I just explained, that spirit is from God. Now, he's not talking about merely confessing with a mouth. He's not talking about intellectual agreement. We've already spoken of that Greek word, confess homo legale. It means to say the same thing. To say the same thing about Jesus as scripture says. But it's not merely, again, it's not an intellectual agreement because even demons understood that Jesus was God come in the flesh, right? In Mark chapter one, the demons say, I know who you are. You're the holy one from God. So even they confessed. So it can't mean that it's a mere confession. It's gotta be something deeper. It's a belief. It is a true belief, one that puts faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not mere intellectual agreement, but it is a true profession, affirmation, and commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So that was the essential doctrinal test for the situation that they were facing, right? People that were in the church saying, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He said, here's a test. If they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, they don't truly believe it, then they're not from God. So don't listen to them." What this is not meant to be is a sort of catch-all phrase, right? That this is a way that we test every messenger and every message. There was a specific context. But in one sense, we could say that it is a sort of catch-all phrase because if someone denies the incarnation, that God draped himself in humanity, in his son, was born a virgin, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming again bodily. That's part of the doctrine of the incarnation. If someone denies the incarnation, then they can't possibly be speaking from God. I don't care if they have every other point of theology right. If you get the incarnation wrong, you got it wrong. Right? It's not like there's a scantron and you just got to get 80% theologically and then, and then you're, you're, you're cool. Like if you get the incarnation wrong, then you get the atonement wrong. So you get salvation wrong. You got the wrong Jesus. Nobody's getting saved. Life and death stuff. So if somebody denies the incarnation, if they're just going down the line and they sound like, yeah, this is a legit Christian. Well, but I don't don't really think that Jesus was God who came in the flesh and was fully God and fully man. But I got all this other stuff. No, and Jesus is, by the way, the salient point, right? When we we talk about doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits are always looking to malign the identity and the work of Jesus Christ. When, When we look at the cults, when we look at Jehovah's Witnesses, they got Jesus wrong. There's all these other points of disagreement. Forget about it. They got Jesus wrong in a core way. When we look at Mormonism, great people. We can love them as friends, but they got Jesus wrong doctrinally. The new age, nice people, they're all around us. got Jesus wrong fundamentally. Christian science down the street, they got Jesus wrong. We talked this morning a bit in speaking of international students about Islam. Islam gets Jesus wrong. The Dome of the Rock, there in Jerusalem, you guys have been following the news, all sorts of stuff going on in Israel right now. It's gnarly over there. Our missionary is here on furlough this month. We're we're glad she's here. But the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, around the edge of it is all this Arabic writing. And part of it says, God has no son. So, the world wants to say, hey, we all worship the same God. We're all going to get there, just different paths. All religions basically teach the same thing with some minor differences. John is saying, no, no. Jesus is not a minor difference, he is the issue. He is the absolute final issue. So if someone denies the incarnation, then it is kind of a a catch-all. They they can't possibly be from God. But we must say, to be responsible, that someone can accept the incarnation, believe in the dual nature of Christ, but that doesn't automatically mean that you can trust everything else they say or that they're from God, because even the demons recognized the incarnation. So in that sense, it's not a catch-all. It's context-specific. We need to learn in our own context how to test the spirits. Now, here's a weird thing, too. I don't believe that the intent of the text is to identify whether or not someone is demonized when we're looking to exorcise demons from them. Part of what the New Testament church does is cast demons out of demonized people. Jesus did it. Paul did it. We do it. It's part of Christianity. It's part of that creepy, crazy part. (laughs) I don't think that this text is teaching, gosh, if you're wondering if someone is demonized, just ask them, did Jesus come in the flesh? (laughs) I don't think that's what the text is teaching, but I have to confess, I've seen it work a few times. I was uh, a younger Christian, and a pastor told me, look, that's what the text means, you can... You can say to the person, and I was dealing with this person, and I thought maybe they were demonized, and I asked them, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh, and they couldn't say it, and then they begin to manifest demons. I was like, that totally works. <laughs> I don't know why that worked, but that's not what the text is saying. And maybe that that particular demon that's tormenting that person just doesn't want to say that, or... I. I don't know how that works, but I have to tell you that I have identified demons and people by asking them whether or not Jesus Christ came in the flesh. I would not rely on that method. It's not what the text is saying. Worked a couple times. What is meant, isn't that a weird thing? What is meant in the original context was that the church now had a clear way of discerning truth from error as it pertained to their particular current crisis. What this means for our context now, okay, in our theological waters, in our community, in our pluralistic society, in our church, what this means for us is that we have a responsibility, when I say we, I mean every single Christian who's here, we have a responsibility to be discerning, We have a responsibility to test the spirits, to examine the content that's coming from those who claim to be from God and speak for God. There is, in our age now, more than there has ever been in the world perhaps, the necessity for Christian discernment. Therefore, each one of us has a responsibility to discern. It's not my responsibility to discern for you. I know what Christians do on this side of the pulpit because I used to be one. Sometimes you sit there and you say, Pastor, do it all. Tell me what to think and I'll think it. Tell me what to believe and I'll believe it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not my job. My job is to teach the scriptures. Yours is to discern. Even here in church, is what Pastor Britt is saying consistent with Scripture or not? If it's not, we have a serious problem. Now, of course, there are primary issues and there are secondary issues. If someone is to teach something false about primary issues, which generally have to do with the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the work of God, and the work of Christ, the way that people are saved, born again, so on and so forth. If someone teaches something false in those primary issues, disassociate yourself from them. I'm not saying that you can't be friends with them, but don't be doctrinally bound with them. Don't be a part of that fellowship. Don't be in that church or or outright reject them. That's not from God. You're not speaking from God. We need to do that. But then there are secondary issues where it's okay to disagree within the Christian community. For example, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the present gifts of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't. We're cool. You can still be a legitimate Christian and have discussions about those secondary issues. I'm not a Calvinist. Some of you are. That's cool. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Some of you don't. That's fine. I believe in a post-millennial return, a premillennial return of Jesus Christ. Some of you don't. That's okay. There are some secondary issues where we can agree to disagree and have robust, fruitful fun conversations about those things, but we don't have to divide. This, in the context, was a divide issue. This was like, hey, see ya, bro. Wouldn't want to be you, honestly. See you, wouldn't want to be you. Like, you got Jesus wrong, you're getting it all wrong. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This text for us then is a call for responsible, faithful, consistent, biblical discernment for every Christian, for every single Christian. This is a responsibility of every Christian. It is also a spiritual gift if you believe in such things. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about the gift of distinguishing or discerning of spirits where you have the enabling by the Holy Spirit to discern in an instant if something or someone is from God or from the devil. What a wonderful gift to have in the church because we live in the age of deception where there's doctrines of demons, where there's lots of discord and and, and unbelief and and all these things, right? Where the, the waters are muddied. And so it's so wonderful to have that gift functioning in the church where somebody could know by the enabling of the Spirit of God, this is not from God, or this is from the enemy. That's, that's great. But it's not only a spiritual gift. It is also a Christian responsibility. Just like some people have the gift of giving. Some of you are enabled supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to give. That's what you love to do. You're like, what, well, you need money? Here's money you need a car, here's a car. You need a surfboard, here's a surfboard. You love to give. None of those were hints, by the way. (laughs) I have more cars than surfboards I know what to do with. But it's not just a gift. We don't just relegate it, well, there's people in the body that give, so we'll let them give. It is the responsibility of every single Christian to give. Every single Christian should give within the body, contribute to the work of Christ. Right? If, you, if you're not giving, you're not being faithful as a Christian. Some people are gifted in encouragement. That's a spiritual gift, exhortation. So the rest of us just sit here and say, let him encourage you, dude. Get over it. <laughs> it's not what we do. Right? Part of being a Christian is encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Some people have the gift of Mercy. So what we do is we're just kind of mean and let them have mercy on me. No, we all, you see? It's the same with discernment. Every Christian is called to be discerning. And we're in a much better position to do so than John's original audience because we have the full canon of scripture. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. We have the word of God. So we have no excuse not to be discerning. Spiritual discernment is just that, spiritual. It is not a matter of intellect. It's not necessarily a matter of education. It's not a matter of experience. Some of the smartest people I know are the most spiritually blind people, right? It's not a like, hey, I went to Harvard and so I got, I got this Jesus saying this doctrinal thing down. That's, that's not the way that it works, Discernment comes from the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God who is a teacher of all things. And if we're going to not be deceived, if we're going to test the spirits, then we have to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, then you are susceptible to deception in this age where there is demonic deception, maybe more so than ever. Outside the church, within inside the church, and you cannot discern unless you know the Word of God. You can't. And if what fills your heart and mind is popular culture, if movies and TV and websites and popular message messages fill your heart and mind more than the Word of God, then you probably already are deceived the spirit of the age, the spirit of Antichrist. Because is this world for Jesus or opposed to Jesus? Yeah, not a trick question. Opposed. So if your heart and mind is filled with the messages of culture, as subtle as it may be, there's opposition to the true identity of Jesus Christ as the only unique savior of the world. The eternal God who draped himself in humanity, born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended in glory and is coming again in glory. This is not a popular message. That's okay. It's not a popularity contest. This is truth. And you, you, can't, you, you can't guard yourself and your family and your community against, against deception unless you're filling your heart and your mind with the word of God. So, excuse me, discernment is a Christian responsibility. Therefore, filling your heart and mind with the word of God is a Christian responsibility. It's not an option. So just like you have other responsibilities in your life that you schedule, that you're intentional about, you need to schedule and be intentional about studying the word of God. This is what Christians do. Someone never told you that. Maybe I'm the first to tell you that. This is what Christians do. They fill their hearts and minds with the word of God. Why? Because the goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be more like Jesus. He's revealed in the word of God. When we fill our hearts and minds with the word of God, then the Holy Spirit has something to work with in our hearts and minds, A means by which he can lead us, guide us, convict us, encourage us. I feel as though I'm being heavy-handed this morning. That's not my intention, but I care a little bit. So, you know, you guys have heard the illustration, I'm sure it's been used a million times. But when they train people to spot counterfeit $100 bills, they never show them the counterfeits. They just acquaint them completely with the real thing, or so I've heard. Could be made up, but it's a good, good illustration. They, they just study the real $100 bills. All the details, the feel, the texture, what it looks like through the light, the watermark, the various weaves, all that stuff. They, they know that so well that the moment a counterfeit comes into their hand, they know it. Just like that. That is how we must be with the word of God in this current age. We have to know the word of God so well that counterfeits, we're not, we're not at all susceptible to them. We spot them just like that. Whether we hear them from the pulpit or we see them on TV or they're our neighbors or it's that thing that, whatever it is, it's that doctrine in a movie. Gosh, I hope you watch movies critically. I hope you don't just soak it in like it's the word of God because it's not. It's okay to watch movies. I watch them. It's okay to watch TV shows. I watch them, but it's not okay to do it without discernment because there's always a subtle anti-Christ message. Not always, you know, some stuff's cool, but usually. And we've got to discern. And if, you, if, if, if the word of Christ is filling your heart and mind, then it's just going to be like that automatic. You're going to discern. And then we can talk to that, uh, about that to our kids Don't you want to be able to, after watching a silly Disney movie with your son or daughter, say, "Now that was cool, but but let's talk about the message of universalism that Disney was pushing there. Let's talk about the false message of sexuality that was being pushed there. Right? Don't you want to be able to do that? Don't you want to be a discerning Christian, a discerning parent, a discerning friend? Then we need to know the word of God. So, as I've said a million times before, read your Bible. But I have found, and recently, that it's not enough to just read the Word, we must obey the Word. John has been saying that incessantly throughout the book. And I've discovered that it's one thing to know the Word and have discernment, it's another for the tone and the tenor of your life To be that of pursuing righteousness and wanting to obey. There's a whole nother level of understanding that comes in that. We truly gain insight into God's word when we're obeying it. John Calvin. Remember, I said I'm not a Calvinist? I'm a nice guy, though. I'll quote John Calvin. Those who say the word of God is a rule by which everything should be tested. Say something, but not everything. This is good. I grant that doctrines should be tested by God's word. Yes. But there is little or no profit in having God's word in our hands, merely, okay, merely in our hands. For its meaning will not be certain to us. But the spirit will only guide us to true discrimination, discernment, if we subject all of our thoughts to the word. God loves you. God cares about you. He wants to transform your lives to look more like Jesus. So it's not that we are able to hold doctrine coldly apart from our hearts. We're to subject our hearts and our minds to the truth of the word of God. And then the spirit leads us in that truth. If we try to hold it objectively like a, a set of facts about how to make a surfboard or something, there's this disconnect. It's not supposed to be this thing that's mutually exclusive from our hearts and minds. We're to fill our hearts and minds with it. And then the Holy Spirit leads us in truth. Does that make sense? I guess what I'm saying is, yes, read your Bible, but obey it too. And in that comes great discernment. We are easily deceived when we don't want to obey. I've been there. So this discernment then plays out in all sorts of ways. It plays out in false religions, obviously. It plays out in cults, obviously. We've talked about this stuff. It plays out in heresy from within the church. <clears throat> But it also plays out in Christian counsel and New Testament prophecy. This is, this is really important. Because how often do we find ourselves going to a brother or sister or a pastor or a counselor saying, here's a situation in my life. I, I need to know what to do. I need help. I need to know how to think about this, feel about this. I need to know how to act. My marriage is in crisis. What am I, what, what am I supposed to do? And so we, we offer counsel to each other. But there is a need to discern within the Christian community the counsel that we're getting. Because no person is infallible. We have gifted counselors in our body. You guys are great at counseling each other but but nobody's infallible and there's lots of opinions out there and just like doctrinal untruth too many opinions can sort of muddy the water well i think you ought to get a separation well i think you ought to stick with them no matter what well i think you ought to do this Well, i think you should quit that job well i think you should date that guy well i think that you should keep that money for yourself well i think you should invest it here well i don't think they deserve to be forgiven well i think you need to go and repent of that all great, all well-intentioned. But it is your responsibility to know the word of God and to endeavor to obey it so that the Holy Spirit can lead you in all truth is what Jesus says. And we ought to be able to sit down with our friends, even in our community groups, and have people say, dude, well, here's how that is, and go, I don't see that lining up with the word. I I don't sense the spirit confirming with that. Confirming that. And that's, that's okay. It's that's part of what it is to be human. <laughs> it's part of what it is to be human. But the thing that makes humanity so wonderful is that we have the certain, clear, absolute, infallible, inerrant, living, active Word of God. And John is just saying Test the spirits. Don't believe everything that you hear. And then he encourages them in verses 4 through 6. He says, you are from God. He has to tell them that because they're getting a little confused at this point. (laughs) Who's right? Who's wrong? He says to them, you're from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In the end, Jesus wins. And when Jesus comes back, it's gonna say on himself, faithful and true. He's a faithful and true one. Sometimes it feels like the darkness is winning. Sometimes it feels like the lies are so numerous and the culture's so aggressive and Islam is growing so fast and the new age is so prevalent. And so many are falling away. Sometimes it feels like the truth is losing. John says, no, you've overcome them with truth. Greater is he who is in you speaking about God's spirit than he who is in the world speaking about Satan, the spirit of Antichrist. In the end, the truth will win. Jesus is coming back, the faithful and true one. And he said in Matthew 24 that when he comes, lightning will flash as the east from the west, from the east to the west, and every high eye will behold, and all will know, "Uh uh-oh, that's true. (laughs) It's not gonna be any pluralism when he comes back. It's not gonna be any debates about it. All the mud and the silt will be gone. It will be crystal clear that Jesus is the loving Savior of the world who gave himself for every man, woman, and child, rose from the dead to prove it, is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's coming a day where every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God. He says, they're from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them, right? They subscribe to the same thing that the movies are pushing. They're all talking about it. We get that wants to encourage him. He says, but we're from God and we might not be popular in the world and the message might not be popular. Verse six, but he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God doesn't listen to us. They're false prophets. There's this disagreement. They're not from God. I know that's hard, but then he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May we be a people and a church of discernment in order that Christ might be made clear in our community that more men and women would be saved and made brand new to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this hope and this promise and for your word. We ask that you would help us to do these things. Help us, Lord. Help us to discern truth from error in our own hearts and the things that we're believing about God, about ourselves, in our community, in the people that we know. Jesus, you're, you're worth. You're worth fighting for. You're worth fighting about. The truth of who you are is worth. It's worth being bold about and standing firm on. So help us to do that. Help us not to be intimidated by the spirit of Antichrist and help us not to be placated by the spirit of the world, but help us to be compassionately bold to the glory of God concerning the person of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Help us to be discerning. I want to raise a son who has discernment. I want to raise a daughter who knows truth from error. I want to be part of a church community that walks in discernment. So I need to take this responsibility upon myself. Help me by empowering me. Help us by empowering us through the Holy Spirit to be faithful to the message and the person of Jesus Christ. We ask it in your name. Amen.